All right, well, welcome everybody. My name is Tom Miller and it is Thursday. It's one o'clock, so it's time for our school leader weekly call, our charter school leader community where we aim to connect, unite, inform, and uh, really, really ensure that our charter school leaders have the best information to be able to make great decisions. Uh, so with me as always is my teaching partner, uh, Katie Reidenauer from Leaders Building Leaders. And then uh, we've got our strategic partner, Rhonda Billingham, and a very, very special guest I know everybody is excited to hear from. So Rhonda, I'm going to immediately pass you um, the opportunity here to introduce our special guest. And everybody, uh, as, you, as you're participating, Please tell our guests where you're coming from, what school, any questions that you have, and Katie's going to monitor the chat box to make sure we get to them. And then towards the end of the call, we'll open it up. So if there's a few folks who wanna just say thank you uh, to Mr. Clarence Henderson, uh, they will have that opportunity. So Rhonda, go ahead and get us started. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Katie. You know, uh, we've had a lot of really important calls, but considering where we are right now in our country, this could be the most important call we've had since all of this started. Uh, I promised uh, Nicole that Mr. Henderson has an interesting story, or Kate, Keisha, I can't remember somebody, but here it is. You ready? In 1960, on the second day of the Greensboro sit-ins, Joseph McNeil and Franklin McCain were joined by William Smith and my friend Clarence Henderson at the Woolworth lunch counter in Greensboro. Since then, North Carolina native Clarence Henderson has been in the forefront of the civil rights battle. Today, Mr. Henderson remains a champion for freedom. His message continues to be not just liberty for a few, but liberty for all. In 2000, Mr. Henderson was the recipient of the 40th Anniversary Sit-In Participant Award. And in 2013, he was appointed by then Governor McCrory to chair the North Carolina Martin Luther King Jr. Commission. One thing I love about Clarence is he has a passion for youth and we can see that in the evidence of his volunteer work with the Boy Scouts his fundraising efforts for organizations like NCANT and Bennett College and his active participation in raising scholarship funds for Dudley High School in Greensboro. He is a true Renaissance man. He's been a soldier in the US Army, a teacher, college administrator, entrepreneur, and motivational speaker. And I'm so proud to have my friend Clarence Henderson on our weekly charter school leader call today because he has a timely perspective and message about civil unrest and an appropriate response. And one aside I'd like to add is I met Clarence whenever he was participating actively in getting a brand new charter school off the ground. And so that made him special to me right there. Thanks for joining us, Clarence. You're quite welcome. <clears throat> it is so indeed. Happy. It is indeed a pleasure to talk with all of you today. Um, during such trying times as these, uh, one of the things that I left off, uh, Rhonda, is that I'm currently, I'm the president for the Frederick Douglass Foundation for the state of North Carolina. So I wear a lot of hats trying to juggle all of them. I wanna start out by um, addressing, Rhonda, some of the questions that you did send me some things that you wanted to share specifically 
And first of all, I'll share with you my experiences during the Woolworth City in 1960. First of all, I come from a different era of time than most of you. I grew up in the era of time known as Jim Crow and uh, never went to an integrated school. Every school I attended was a segregated school. Uh, and so I know what it's like to deal with issues uh, such as some of the ones that we're dealing with right now. I do believe in divine intervention and the course of, for my life was set for me actually when I was born. Because my, during that time when I was born, my father was a sharecropper in Townville, South Carolina. And the guy he worked for became his best friend at that time. And of course, this gentleman was white and my father named me after him. It helped set the tone for me to help bridge the gap between the races. And every time I've tried to get away from this, uh, I've always been brought back to it. It's like sort of like Jonah and the fish. And so I continue on this journey and I suppose I'll be on it for so long as I live on this earth. In reference to Woolworths, um, the first uh, thing I can tell you about Woolworths is that my encounter at Woolworths when I was a child growing up, when my mother used to take me to the downtown place called Woolworths. And we should go downstairs and we would see two water fountains, one saying colored and one saying white. And I would often look at the water when I was down there and try to see what the difference was because they both looked the same and, and it really was no difference. And they had two bathrooms down there saying one was colored, one saying colored, one saying white. And if you went upstairs, they also had a number of a variety of things that they sold out of there. And one of the specific things they had was a, a lunch counter where they served people. And they served blacks as well as whites, but in a separate situation. The whites could sit at the lunch counter and partake of their meal, but we as blacks had to go to the back of the counter and order our food, pay the same price we had to order it to go. And that went on and I saw that for a number of years. And what happened to move forward uh, uh, on February 2nd, 1960, uh, I was sitting in the lunch at, at, uh, at, at A&T in Bluford Library downstairs uh, where all the students get at that time. And a friend of mine by the name of Ezell Blair, who was there on the first day, came down and told me what they had done on the first day. Now, the reason why I wasn't involved in the first day was because of the fact that um, I stayed off campus because my parents could not afford to live on campus. And so we had these four guys that started a, the, the movement on February 1st. And uh, when he told me um, what they had done on the first day, and he asked me if I wanted to get involved, and I told him, yes, I did. Uh, and he said that uh, he would pay for my lunch uh, if they served us. Needless to say, uh, he still owes me a lunch because I never ate at the lunch counter. I sit at that lunch counter because it was what I felt like I was supposed to because it needed to be done. Because when you have a country such as America and when an opportunity is, is, is supposed to be equal for all, 
then um, when you make a difference because of the color of a person's skin, then it, it becomes major and we're still dealing with that uh, situation today. And so I was all of 18 years of age and it caused me to have a different outlook in life. Walking into the FW Woolworths at that particular point in time on February the 2nd, there was different things going through my mind. One, not going how, knowing how it's going to come out. Whether in a vertical position, going to jail, or in a prone position, going to uh, the hospital or to the morgue. But in reflection, uh, one of the things that I, uh, uh, reminds me of that, I, I guess all of you have seen, I know about the movie Braveheart, when he says, every man dies, but not every man lives. And so it was 176 days of us sitting down to stand up for freedom. It was 176 days of people crying out, freedom over freedom over, freedom over me. And before I'd be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. We are very fortunate to, to, to be born in this country. However, we need to understand that freedom always has to be defended. And that holds true even today. And so I continue my journey in reference to doing that. And uh, I have, a, a, I guess, a vast array of experiences because I spent almost 30 years being in business for myself. So I understand how the free market capitalistic system works in America. And we need all need to know how things work in America. And we all need to get involved in making for a better America. Now, when it comes to this current situation that we're dealing with, uh, George Floyd situation, it is a travesty of what happened to this young man where he was actually murdered by a person who was in authority and it should not have occurred. But this didn't happen in a vacuum. There are some things that happened before then and there are some things that are happening currently. There was a certain climate in Minneapolis that allowed this to happen because I understand that this police officer or this former police officer had a record of having done things such as this before in his past. And it should have been handled then, but it wasn't. And so now we come to this situation where that this uh, activity occurred. And I don't understand the other officers that were there with him, why one of them then just simply pull him off of the guy because he's on the ground, no threat at this particular point in time, but they all stood there and and did nothing and that again is, is a sad situation so what we have going on now in america are two situations one i condone and the other one i condemn i condone the protest because we all have the right to peaceably protest the right to assembly and assemble in a peaceful manner but when it comes to rioting it solves nothing. It causes all kinds of problems. One of the things that we decided when we were sitting at that counter was that this would be a peaceful movement. 
to expose to America, and indeed we found out and exposed to the, all of the world what was going on in this country, which was supposed to be the land of the free and home of the brave. And people are still talking about uh, that situation now. You don't hear a lot of people talking about Watts and how the place was torn up at that particular point in time. So they are destroying the memory currently of what happened to uh, George Floyd. We have in America a system that needs to be adhered, adhered to if we're gonna have peace. First and foremost, when this situation occurred, the first thing that should have happened was that uh, after, you know, after that, the first thing I, I already uh, alluded to and that somebody should have stepped in and stopped, especially those police people. The second part is that he should have been arrested immediately. I think that might have quelled some of the situation that occurred there. I don't know what it would uh, wouldn't have. Uh, and so we have in our country right now a climate that has been reintroduced basically um, in America. Now, why do I say that? Most people in America right now really don't know what racism is. And we need to understand that there's racism, that's a systematic racism. Now, what do I mean by that? When you put laws on the books that oppress a certain group of people based simply on the, the color of their skin. Now, you can't legislate racism out of a person's heart, but you certainly can put blocks in front of them to be a, uh, prevent as much as possible from these kind of situations occurring. The unfortunate thing that has happened is that this was done by a police officer and it, has, it continues to taint the profession of policemen. But we cannot label police based on the actions of a few. My oldest brother, who is deceased now, uh, was a policeman in Greensboro, North Carolina, and he dotted every I and he crossed every T. So I know what the profession can be, and in every profession, you will find the good, the bad, and the ugly. But it depends on what position in life, what authority they have as to uh, how, it, how it is seen. And so again, peaceful movements are so very, very important. We need to understand that it brings attention to things that uh, probably would not be brought attention to. There is an underserved population in this community, in, in this uh, uh, country that's being uh, underserved. And the question becomes, what do we do in reference to it? And the people that are, on, that are on this call are so very, very important to what we do in this country. Yours can be seen in two different ways. One is short term, what can you do as an individual? One is long term, what can you do in reference to the, 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 the students or the children that you're working with on a daily basis, such as it is whether it's uh, the situation now or whether it's a uh, uh, brick and mortar where it's in, actually in the physical classroom. And one of the things that in order for you to be most effective is to understand really what racism is and the history of it. If we don't know what racism is, we have to, we can, how can we address it? 
understand the difference between racism and bigotry and profiling, all these various things that uh, we deal with. And so within the classroom, I would say that uh, what needs to be addressed more than anything else is the behavior of people. That's what we need to address is how people act. And when you see overt acts of racism, then it needs to be dealt with at that particular point in time. That's why, to me, one of the reasons why school choice is so very, very important. Because it, it is able, uh, you guys are able to address some situations that are not being addressed in the public schools because of the disarray of the public school system. The public school system is basically failing as far as the educational system is concerned. It doesn't necessarily have to do anything with the teachers, but the system that they have in place. And that's unfortunate. And our kids are being held captive by a system that is not really doing for them what it should. And so we should look at it from, one of the things is to make it competitive. Our kids should not be held hostage to a school that is not serving the purpose. And they should have an alternative with school choice gives them an alternative. So I'm a firm believer in school choice. And, but what we find is that we have so many people trying to say that uh, school choice is bad. And they want to use the idea that uh, you guys are taking away from uh, the monies that they're supposed to receive. Well, those monies don't belong to them. Those are tax paid funds that they're using. And it should be for greater good of our children as we um, continue with our educational system. Uh, one of the things about um, uh, school choice is that I believe in, in, in uh, um, being able to be teaching a, a, a people critical analysis, critical ways to look at things. And unfortunately, what has happened in the public school is that it's one size fits all and that that doesn't work i'm a firm believer in classical education where you teach the whole person the way we are made that is spirit soul and body to teach people our kids how to think and not what to think that they're able to evaluate things as they process their way through life and understand they use their schooling as a building block to continue on in their life as they move into various areas. One of the things that happened with me, even though that we were in a, uh, was in a segregated school, is that I, my teachers told me exactly what to expect. They told me what life was all about did not color it, uh, did not make it where we didn't understand that there were some people that were making a difference. And so I right now I sit on the Central Committee for the Republican Party. And I'm not saying to anybody in, in, uh, that's on this call who or what affiliation you should have. But for me, it has given me an opportunity to bring to the forefront some of the issues that has not been, been bring brought forth uh, before, such as addressing 
uh, the underserved or the minority or the unheard community, which needs to be addressed. And so uh, the new protest, as far as I'm concerned, is the ballot box. Because we all have the opportunity to make the decision as to who we think would serve us better as far as servants of our community. That's what they are. They're not leaders, they're servants. And so we, the people, have a chance to decide every four years, every two years, depending upon what the election is, as to who we think is best serves for the school system or for anything in life that we are dealing with that is a, 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 a that needs to be addressed. And so we, we, we're here at this time, and I recognize that protests are not what they used to be because we have a lot of people that are coming in from the outside and influencing what's going on in uh, the, 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 the protest was a, was a peaceful. And so uh, it's ruining the issue that we're dealing with and that is taken away from what's going on. Some of them are there just to incite certain things. And so in reference to, to, to the way I see things is based on the history of how of my life and how I've seen uh, progression occur from the time that I was a child all the way up until now. And there has been progression, but these issues need to be addressed. We need to be able to come together and sit down and discuss any situation, no matter what it is, so that we can make it better. And I would say to each one of you that I'm talking to, it's not what's behind you. And it's not what's in front of you. It's what's in you that counts. And what we're dealing with right now is a hard problem. Not all policemen are racist. Not all whites or blacks or whatever are racist. We can identify it based on behavior. And <clears throat> excuse me, each situation has to be handled on an individual basis. Otherwise, we become like animals and rushing to judgment on situations that can be handled much better. In this country, we have a justice system which says that people are, are supposed to be brought before the court system to address actions that they have taken, no matter what profession they're in, so that we have an opportunity to, to make sure that we address, address these kind of situations. And unfortunately, right now, uh, in America, there's a climate that is taken away from what we're doing, what we're all about. For example, we have been dealing with the coronavirus, COVID-19, and what has been said is that we all need to practice safety and be a part. Well, what has happened now is that, and I've seen the governor of North Carolina out there right in the middle of the protest when he's saying that we should all stay apart and he doesn't have a mask on. 
And so I look at these various kinds of things is that we have too many people saying, do as I say do and not do as I do. And so in this country, we, the people, have a great opportunity to change these situations. We can no longer allow 535 people tell 320 million people what they should or should not do. Our constitution begins with we, the people, and not they, the government. And if we go back and we look at how this country was started, when we look at our Declaration of Independence, there's a profound statement that's made in that second sentence, which says that we, the people, I'm sorry, which says we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they have been endowed by their creator with certain and illiberal rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. <clears throat> Excuse me again. And so these are God-ordained rights, which means no institution, no man, no woman, no person, no entity has a right to take our right to life, living in the pursuit of happiness. But because a lot of us don't know the history of this country, we don't know the power that we have that we have to exercise on a constant basis as an individual. You need to be defending the rights of yourself and others. <clears throat> the greatest thing that I can say to you about addressing racism is this. Understand that my rights end where yours begin and your rights end where mine begin. And when we step over into the rights of others, we're committing an offense that should not be done. Excuse me. I'm not sure if I've covered Rhonda, Tom, uh, the co-hosts of all the things that you wanted me to cover, but those are some of the thoughts that I have in reference to who I am and why I do what I do. Well, you're amazing, Clarence. You answered every question I sent you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, you know, we these school leaders have a lot of responsibility and you touched on that a little bit about their responsibility toward students. Um, you wanna talk about that a little bit more about, you know, some um, practical ways we can influence children and make this a better world? Well, you know, unfortunately, <coughs> excuse me, the way our system works in a lot of ways is more about popularity than it is anything else. Our teachers, our administrations, administrators, uh, anybody involved with the school system are some of the most important people in the United States. But the pay scale does not reflect that. So I understand that each one of you right now uh, are in this because of the love of it and because of what you see uh, our kids need. And so what we need to look at is, is uh, the results of what you're uh, seeking after. And know that, 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 that um, you have a strong voice in what is going on, even indirectly by the way that you 
deal with and handle and teach the kids that you're working with currently. Because I came out of that educational system. Everybody on this call came out of the educational system. And there's something right now within you that you remember from those times past that helped you uh, along the way and make sure that uh, some things that may have happened to you that you would not want to see happen to others and to make sure that uh, you teach them about the hope that's in America and let them know that each one of them is somebody special and that their voices will resound throughout <coughs> so long as they live and what they do may not be where it is read about, but it can be uh, uh, based on what they do because we all have defining moments in our lives. Defining moments are not unusual. It's what we do in those times. Those define us. We define ourselves by what we do in those situations. And so we need to understand that uh, uh, with the children, you're shaping the future of America. You're shaping the new leaders. You're, you're preparing the leaders of tomorrow to address some situations they were dealing in in their lifetime and even some of the situations that we're dealing in today. So do not forget how important the work is that you do. And I want to say I admire each one of you for the work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much, Mr. Henderson. Yeah, I, I um, this is uh, Tom Miller, and uh, you know I've been in education twenty years. I started this uh, company six years ago, and I think you know I've reflected a lot. I've done some dumb stuff in life, and um, I think we this all past, <laughs> I think this past week I I've never I've never reflected on so much about what is what is my role, what is my company's role in all of this. You know, we've been interim school leaders at, you know, um, inner city schools and, uh, uh, you know, we serve a lot of, you know, you know, a lot of different schools. And so for me, when you said, you know, your actions speak louder than your words, right? And I felt like that's always been my role, but now I've realized it, it has to be more, right? But I'm not sure what that more is. So for all of the, of, uh, you know, the white school leaders here who might be struggling with the same question, like what is more? Like what is that, what is that next step that we need to take and be more intentional about? You talked about the education piece and the awareness piece, but you know, one of my really good friends is on here and he said recently, you know, he's, you know, he's a black male and he said, nobody will ever have an honest conversation about race around me, right? And I've known him for a long time. And that really hit me like, he's right. I've known him for 15 years and we've never had that conversation. So what, so what, how, how could you mentor someone like me to, to take that next step? What are some things I need to start thinking about? First of all, with the friend you're talking about, you need to have that conversation. And you need to decide up front there's going to be a conversation whereby that your intention is to develop a better relationship in all areas of uh, your association with each other. 
that's one of the challenges we have is that uh, we don't develop relationships that we should. Uh, even if you go into integrated situations, a lot of times blacks have a tendency to sit in one place or be in one location and whites in others. So we have to begin to uh, fellowship and, 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 and learn more about each other and bring up the subject of race. And let's just talk about the subject of race, racism, the whole gamut. And up front, when I, if I were talking to you right now, here's what I'd say to you. Listen, if I say anything as we have our conversation that offends you, I apologize up front because that's not what I intend. There are some answers or some questions that the two of us might have that would uh, would need need to be discussed. It is discussed situations that are currently going on in this country right now because we can address the situations that happen in this country right now and look at it from the standpoint of how did we arrive at the situation because it did not happen in a vacuum. And the first thing that I do is I respect others and I expect them to respect me. We may not agree, and that's okay, but we need to, there are certain things that we need to agree on. And that is that there's different histories in this country based on, unfortunately, a lot of ways, a lot of times, based on uh, uh, things that, you know, for example, the color of one's skin. You know, there's not but one race, and that's the human race. I look at people based upon who they are on the inside rather than what, what are on the outside because my history has been that I've been called all kinds of names, said all kinds of things to me, but I have no hatred for any person, no matter what color their skin is. And during this time right now, I have been called by a lot of people that look like me, terrible things. But that doesn't bother me. I address from the standpoint of how I see it, what my experiences are. And when you put anyone in a minority situation, it is normally different than when they are in a majority situation. So if I am in a meeting, for example, and the majority of people look like me, then I will always, if I had an opportunity to seek out the people in the minority, and when I said it, those, let's say we have a room, a room full of quote unquote black folks and a few people, a few white people, I will seek them out and let them know that this is a, a, a friendly environment and you need to feel welcome within this. And the challenge is that we don't know enough about each other. It's like all the people on this, this call right now are basically strangers to me. I know uh, Rhonda, for example, better than I know anybody else on this call. But by the same token, you have not heard me espousing anything about uh, 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 the hatred or anything violent or whatever, because that doesn't accomplish anything. We uh, are people, are thinking people. And we cannot allow our comments, uh, allow our emotions 
that cause us to lose our common sense. There are some things that need to be discussed, and the more that they are discussed, the better off that we are, and this is what we're doing right now that can help immensely. And so the issue of race needs to be brought up, but in the right way, before something happens like what's happening right now. Awesome, thank you. I appreciate you. I saw there was a couple other questions that came in, Katie. So you do want to, you, you or Rhonda want to help out Mr. Henderson? Sure, I'll go first. Um, so there was a question that said, Mr. Henderson, when you said most people today do not know what racism is, can you explain that a little bit more? Do you mean it's such an institution that it is blind to much of society? Well, for me, what I really consider racism, you got two things. You got a system of racism, and then you have people that express racism. The first, one of the things that's happened in this country is that we went from slavery, came up out of slavery, up out of Jim Crow. And so now we don't have those racist type laws that are on our books, that are laws in this country. That's one issue. The other one is, is that we're always going to have racism and coming from both sides. And we have to address it when it comes up. And no greater illustration is what happened just recently with George Floyd. There were indications before in that area, just as all across this country, of the part that racism is playing in our country. And we have laws to address that, and we need to make sure these laws are handled. But the, the bottom line, the thing I'm saying is that we can, <clears throat> excuse me, not legislate a person's heart. But I trust, but I also verify. And I'll give you an example. I have a, a person that graduated from the same university I graduated from. Never met him personally, but he's so concerned about how I am being used by white folks, specifically the president of the United States. And the way I look at that is this. I look at the policies that the president has put out uh, since he's been president. I have not seen any one racist policy. I look at each person on an individual basis to see as I talk with them is that do they uh, come across as an individual that has a problem when it comes to race. So right in the environment where you are, uh, if you see it occurring, then you need to address it because it goes uh, uh, like the, 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 uh, uh, um, the, the deal with the things that you can deal with and those that you can't, you can't deal with those. And see, all any one person can do is all they can do. I currently now have a task force that works specifically with these areas that bring forth the unheard voices that are in America right now. And so 
that's what each of us need to address. And you as uh, the head of the school need to make sure that these kind of things do not exist. I'll give an example. When I, when my kids were going to school, what happened was with my uh, oldest daughter, she came home in tears and said that there's one white kid calling her the N-word. The first thing I asked her was, what did the teacher say about it? What, how did they address? She said that the teacher said, the student is doing it on the schoolyard and not in the classroom. So I said, okay, and I went over to the teacher and I told her what my daughter had said. And I said, listen, the school ground is a part of the school uh, that my daughter's attending. And if you don't address it, the next time I come over here, I'm going to see the principal. And if the principal doesn't address it, the next place I'm going is a superintendent of the Gibbon County School. And if the, the superintendent doesn't address it, I'm going to the, the, the head of the, 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 the superintendent of schools in, in, the, in the state of North Carolina. Needless to say, that young man never called my daughter that word again. And so I addressed the issue that was at hand and it taught the teacher a lesson, it taught my daughter a lesson, and it taught me a lesson that instead of me going out there with uh, uh, some form of violence or hatred or whatever, to address the situation that was best, the best way to deal, deal with it based on the situation that was at hand. So it's a constant thing that we always have to deal with for so long as it keeps being brought up, it, keep, it keeps happening. So we have another question, um, and you're right. I think it's that constancy of racism that uh, I know for myself that I don't have to live with. And so it's really hard to understand that that, is a, that can be a constant for people of color. And, and so that's where my empathy has to come in. Um, and, you know, and so that's what I'm struggling with, you know, to, to kind of uh, parrot something that Tom was saying is, you know, still trying to figure out what the role is. Uh, but there was another question that came through that said, as educators, what advice would you give to us in regards to creating space for our students to express and share their voices about what is going on in our country? Uh, I think that within the classroom, uh, it has to be addressed. Uh, and uh, you just have to look at how, what's the best way to address it because Normally, depending upon what uh, grade level you're in, it has already been addressed by the parent or the student through other uh, kids they're dealing with. So it's already being talked about. And uh, the best thing that you can do is to uh, address it beforehand. And uh, I would recommend to you is that if you don't have any black friends you need to make an effort to reach out now what happened to me and and, and here's the bottom line there it's not like a elastic, a elastic band there's no set way to deal with it except know it when you see it for example my father who had a third grade education 
uh, and he was a mechanic, a lot of times he dealt with whites more than he did blacks. And I never heard him express any issue that he had with any of them. So I learned from a, 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 a early up uh, that people are not born racist. It's actually something that is embedded or ingrained in the person as they continue on in life. And so because the issue is at the forefront, we see it on TV, we hear it, we see all these kind of things. And so we have to figure out how to address it. And one of the things is to just sit down and listen to, for example, an adult that's willing to talk with you in reference to or more than just one or having a panel and begin to talk with these kinds of things. For example, if you are the, uh, uh, the head of the school where you are, do you have a, a, a different races that teach there in that school? And to sit out and have a conversation with your teachers, if they are blacks and whites and uh, uh, Asians or whatever they're teaching that school, let's just talk about it and come up with some best solutions for us to deal with this kind of situation. I'll go back to what Tom said before, and it's a topic seemingly that for whatever reason, you guys are friends, but this, this issue has never come up when you know that the issue is there. So it needs to be brought up so that you can deal with it better. I think it will draw, make you cr draw closer together because the idea is that we deal too much with our emotions. And what do I mean by that? We need to think in terms of what our, based on what our, the way we think, how our, what our emotions make cause us to think the way we think. We think. And so it's, it's a two parts to it. <clears throat> because we have to address the issue of how a person would feel based upon the words that is, is being expressed in them out of actions. And we see it all the time. So we, we keep putting a Band-Aid on something that needs to be addressed. For example, next, next Monday, we're going to have a, 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 a uh, meeting with some of the leaders in the Greensboro area specifically about this situation that can, uh, keeps occurring over and over again, not necessarily in large numbers, but it keeps happening and we did address it and get out in front of it. Yeah, you really got me thinking about uh, beliefs drive behavior, right? I mean, that's where behavior comes from is your uh, beliefs. And it's really values that creates uh, beliefs. And in a lot of schools, values-based education has just gone away because there's just, you know, we got to close the gap and we got to, you know, EOGs and all this, you know, stuff. And we, we don't spend a tremendous amount of time teaching students or each other how to be better relational leaders and value-based uh, individuals. And, and so that's something I would highly recommend everybody take a look at. If you don't have a let, core values program, yeah, go for it. Let me say this. I attend, I'm a member of an integrated church. When I first went there, I had to teach people to speak to me. Now, how did I do that? I extended friendship to them. 
my name is Clarence Henderson. How are you doing? And that time when, you know, the handshakes and all those kind of things, we did all those things. So now those people that didn't speak to me for whatever reason, I can't determine what the reason for wasn't for. They now seek me out and come and speak to me now because I showed myself friendly. I did not show hostility. The only thing that anybody can do is, is, is uh, show themselves friendly to others and come out of our comfort zone. Because here's what I just heard you say earlier. You recognize that your friend and you are different cause according to what uh, its uh, tradition says. And you both know that that issue is there. It needs to be discussed. And then I think you will come out understanding each other better than you do did before. The, 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 the bottom line is that we are not having a conversation about this, a dialogue. And that's what the problem is. Or that's how we need to address the problem. Yeah, and a, you know, and a big part of that is modeling, right? Is, is who do you learn from to start? I mean, we all have conversations, but that conversation doesn't happen enough, right? And it has to start. Uh, so you just gave us some really good, you know, first steps. And, it, and the other it. thing, my, I have my kids, each one of them is different. And I work with them differently. I show love to, to the, all of them, but they have different personalities. And I don't pit one against the other, just like we shouldn't pit white against black, black against white uh, in this country. And so each person that I, each person that I know as a friend, an acquaintance, I don't deal with each one of them the same way because they each are different. And so there have been some indications, probably since the two of you have been friends, I had to keep using you as an example, which is a great example, that this issue should have been discussed before. And I guess for both of you, it's been how do we discuss it? And the only way you know how to discuss it is to begin to discuss it. You know, Clarence, uh, you made me think about. Um, when you said you, you need to put ourselves uh, outside our comfort zone because it makes you have a different perspective when you're not the majority. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was 20 years old, I moved to Germany. I didn't know one word of German. I was terrified. I thought those people would be so different from me. And I'm going to tell you what, it took me two weeks to figure out how to say, may I buy a Coke, please? <laughs> <laughs> and one day I got the courage to go out of my apartment and go around the corner to the Bakarai, the German bakery. And I asked him that question in German and he understood me. And at that moment I was liberated. And then I was able to start seeing these people who have a different culture, speak differently from me. But what I started realizing is what I came away with after two and a half years living there we all share many things in common and that is the desire to love and be loved mm -hmm. and well, we, we we all have commonalities and we all have differences mm -hmm. the question becomes how do you deal with it 
and now using this extreme case. I think that people that climb mountains, do all their skin, all this stuff, I think they're crazy. <laughs> but that's what they choose to do. And I watch them do it. That's fine. And I could be best friends with any of them. But their thinking is different from mine, so I don't hold that against them either one way or the other. Some people are tall, some people are short, some people are heavy than others. We have all these kinds of differences, but we're more alike than we are different. Every person that I, that's on this call, unless something's happening that I don't know about in my 78 years of life, we're all born the same way. We all came out with, unless there's something happened, two arms, two legs, two eyes, and all these kind of things. And actually, it's not a color, it's, it's melanoma. I have more melanoma in me than that, that my white friend over there, but we're all colored the same, we're just in different shades. And we need to understand that it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside, because if we, each one of us go and look in the mirror, we don't know what we look at, what we look like when we look at ourselves, because all we are seeing is the exterior. We are not seeing what's on the inside, so we have to constantly do introspection. And I am settled with this particular truth. And this is based upon what I believe. I know who I am because God told me who I am, and I don't have to question any individual for me to find out who Clarence Henderson is. And so no matter what per way a person, other per another person sees me, that doesn't bother me because I don't allow anybody to occupy the space in my mind because they have not paid any rent to be there. <laughs> and so I show myself friendly, expecting that they will show themselves friendly. If they don't, then I'll go to somebody else because God's a God of whosoever. He didn't pick any particular race. As a matter of fact, the only difference between the Jew and the Gentile, and he brought the two of them together as one through the blood of Christ. So blood is thicker than water, but Christ's blood is stronger than the blood between uh, 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 people that kin each other. So I live by that. And I, it, and, and I have stepped out of the box that I was in and uh, more people come to me right now, just as Tom did initially and said, what do I do? Now, if I would have been a hostile person, I never probably would have met, met Tom and he probably not, would not have asked that question. But he felt good enough to ask me the question because he felt like that I would try to help him with what he's dealing with. It's just like anybody else in this conversation. We all have strengths and we are to uplift each other and not tear each other down. For example, I used to see uh, 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 people that were teachers uh, in all different kinds of professions that would bring their cars to my dad because they couldn't fix them. So they had this commonality, they had this thing that, that, that was common between the two of them. Now, by the same token, I grew up in the house of this guy who was the greatest mechanic that I ever knew. But I allowed him to take all that knowledge over to the graveyard with him because all I saw was the dirt on his fingernails and I didn't see this great uh, uh, um, 
uh, a great understanding he had and great knowledge he had when it comes to, uh, about cars. So, it, uh, and on the other hand, it has cost me dearly because all I do is change the tire. I can't change it no more. I saw, I've seen him take a motor down and put it back together. I can't do any of that. Why? Because I chose not to be a part of what I saw because I saw something that I shouldn't see and that was a dirt on his fingernails. You're making me think of Stephen Covey when he said, seek first to understand, which I think is biblical as well. But, um, but you know, as you said, I have to understand Clarence. I have to understand myself. I have to understand the stranger. And then now you brought in your dad. We have to understand our family and, you know, what attributes do they have? So how do we start that conversation? Because, um, you know, I'm a former school leader, just like Rhonda and Tom, and we have a bunch of current school leaders on the phone or you know, on the call. So how do we have that conversation to encourage them and to encourage them to encourage their teachers and parents and students to seek first to understand? How do they start those conversations? Well, you have it right here in front of you. I see on this call, blacks and whites. I see it right now. So this is a discussion that you can have in some of these meetings that you can have and in, in the, in the dialogue that uh, 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 Tom, and I, I forgive me because I, I don't know the person you're talking about and, it, and it's not important based on this conversation, but there's a dialogue that you and he could start, that could start it off so that each one of us has a better understanding of how the other one sees life and what we see, uh, the differences and how we can go about it. So you've got the audience already to begin with to address the situation, situation we're talking about. Because I see one, two, I, the number I see, maybe three or four or five, I see Mr. G over there, I see Mark over there, and there was something, I uh, see Christopher over there. And then I see those, those are all people that look like me on the outside. So that's a great place to start the conversation. And be honest about it. And don't let your feelings get hurt because of the honesty. As long as somebody's not trying to be demeaning, because the best thing you can do is express how you feel about certain issues. So you have a great opportunity to start it from there much better than what I can address with you right now as one individual. So I'd love it. You know, everybody on the call, if, if you're in for that kind of conversation, please put it in the chat. Say, I'm in. Yeah, Katie. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, Rhonda. You know, God, Clarence, I'm with you. I'll have that conversation and Tom and Rhonda and I will get that scheduled. Uh, what other questions do you all have? Please put it in the chat. Oh, look, we have Joan and Mary Jo and Michelle. We have Beatrice, we have a lot of people who are in. Um, what other questions do we have? I see one right here, Katie. Uh, as this is, I think, Dr. Fuller from en Envision. Mm. He says, as a school leader, I've experienced being called racist by parents when I've had to deal with their children regarding discipline. I know and believe in my heart that I dealt with the situation fairly and equitably and did nothing to warrant such an accusation. I do not understand. What can we do as administrators to mitigate such circumstances? Uh, to know, first thing is that for that person to know in their heart that they did not do anything discriminatory. There, is, there are rules and regulations for everybody and we have to adhere to them. And so within the school system, the first thing, you know, I would ask is that 
to the parents, do you understand the rules and regulations of the school? And that's how the children are being handled within the educational system that we have because each school has a handbook, a rule handbook, a, rule, a handbook rule. And I'll give you an illustration. I have a nephew that uh, when he was in school, he used to have various problems. And my another, another one of my brothers who was his grandson, grandfather, he would always placate the situation. So one day his uh, 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 mother had to call me because the, the grandfather was not there because she was a single parent. And she told me that the school had talk, called, called her and told him he had to be picked up. So when I went to the school, he was standing on the outside. And I asked him, why are you standing on the outside? He says, because they told me I had to leave. I said, before we leave here, we're going to go inside and find out what you actually did to cause you to be expelled from the school. And what I found out is that he had threatened one of the teachers. That had nothing to do with black or white, red or yellow, whatever. And so I explained to him on our way to his house that you cannot, <coughs> excuse me, threaten people no matter what. If, that if there's a problem between you and that teacher, you need to address it a different way. First, about uh, uh, saying you can have a conversation with them about that. Uh, even further, go home and talk to your mother about it. So the bottom line is, is that uh, as long and, and, and see, parents get very emotional and a lot of time about their children. What I always looked at is that who's right and who's wrong. And I addressed it. And my kids will tell you right now, if they're wrong, the first thing I'll tell them is that what I see you doing is wrong. I still love you. But what I see you doing is wrong. I'm not going to placate them because society out there, the world's out there, world out there is not going to placate them. So we have to be fair and honest. So the first thing that, that the teacher needs to understand, or whoever it was, is that <clears throat> look at it and see, did I do something wrong? If I didn't, <clears throat> then unfortunately, what's going to happen is that you're going to have to be able to take that heat, be able to come back and say to them that the way this was handled, had, it was not uh, based upon a racist situation, but based upon the rules and regulations of this school, which applies to every student that's here and every teacher that's here and that's all the person can do they may take it the wrong way but that's all you can do because the one thing i'm responsible for is how clarence henderson acts i cannot take on how the other person acts i can be responsible for how i act not myself i can show myself friendly but the person does not but when a teacher's in that kind of situation they have to make sure the parents and the students understand the rules and regulations. There's some things that require that if your child does this, then this applies. This has to happen. And if they do something else, this has to happen. Yeah, that's powerful. You start with what is true for everybody and, and show how you know their child is involved with that and then take the conversation from there. And you know, you're not gonna win everybody, but at least then you'll know, was I fair? Well, did I do the right thing? Um, and, and then you can move on from there. I'd like to do something if I can. Sure. I'd like to find out if Mr. G or Christopher or some other person looks like me on this call, if you have any questions and something you wanna say in reference to it. Uh, raise your hand, gentlemen, and I will unmute you if you would like to. If any of them has taken the challenge. 
certainly I know one of you, uh, uh, whoever it is, Mr. Mark Tracy, you have something that maybe you would like to say or something you'd like to, <laughs> to say at this particular point in time, I would think. Okay, Mark, I'm unmuting you. You're good to go. Oh. You know, I don't necessarily have a question. I don't know if, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I don't really necessarily have a question. I just want to echo kind of one of your points. I think, I think you know, the question of what folks can do at this time, um, I think it's a question of privilege and marginalization. It's not just an issue of race. I think all of us are at times can be privileged and all of us at times can be marginalized. I think those who have spoken up when it's a child being talked to inappropriately by an adult, let's say, in a store, or, you know, you see an issue between uh, gender inequity or something along those lines and you've spoken up, those same opportunities when it comes to race or whatever, even if it may be uncomfortable or scary or nervous, is the courage that we as a society need. Um, we can't all be in all those conversations and environments at all times. And I think it's, it's vital that we um, support those who are marginalized um, and, and when we have an opportunity, particularly in issues of privilege. So men need to do it around issues of gender. Um, our heterosexual friends need to do that or when we're talking about issues of sexual orientation. So I think it's an issue of privilege and marginalization. So it's not just race, like how can I as a white person address someone in the African-American community? It's not just that, it's that there are marginalized communities throughout our world and, and it's our role as the privileged at times to, to address others in the privileged situation to, to, to have them rethink how they are treating marginalized groups. It's not really a question, but it's kind of a statement. Mark, that is a great assessment. I think that sums up basically everything I've said thus far. And say so that's what I'm saying is that within the group of people you have here, that there are great perspectives based upon life issues that they've dealt with that can help each other to be better people at this particular point in time. So I would hope that each one of you would say that we need to bring something to the table in reference to this issue we're dealing with right now so that we can know how to deal with it because it's going to come up again. This is not something that happened in a vacuum. It is something that's going to come up over and over again. So the question becomes, how can we as leaders within our school system, uh, how can we each handle those situations as they come up? And the best way to come up, deal with them, is to understand just like what Mark said about some issues that he's seen, some issues he dealt with, and I'm sure he has a whole lot more to say that would help with this kind of situation. I appreciate that, Mark. Anyone else? Mr. G. Mr. G. We also have Keisha and Nicole who are ladies of color, and okay. I'd invite them to join the conversation as well. Yes, thank you for your time. I uh, actually, one of my questions was asked earlier when it, it was um, pertaining to allowing students to, I guess, express themselves during this time. But uh, one thought that I, I guess I took from this, from what you were saying, is you said that your teachers growing up taught you how to think, which I think is important because I believe that helped you form your, your perspective of the world that you will be entering. Mm -hmm. I think that in this next generation, that the students coming up should definitely need to learn how to think for themselves. Mm -hmm. to their own opinions because truthfully the solutions are very much so in them and i believe by teaching our right. then it gives them the ability to formulate opinions about the world around them instead of kind of having this program type of um 
of, of opinion. And then it allowed them to really look within themselves to find the solutions and see how they can be a part of the change. And I think that's so important um, and allowing people to truly express how they can uh, make a difference and change some of the things that we see uh, still affecting us, that especially affecting you, and it's just lingered. Very true, very true. Let me say something before I forget it also, how important school choice is. My youngest daughter, all, one of the things she wanted to do was she wanted to become a majorette. And we lived in the county school. We lived in the county uh, where she went to a county school, not uh, in the city school. So she was never quite good enough to make the uh, majorette squad where she was. I sent her to the training and everything. So you know what I did? I changed her address with a friend of mine that lived within the inner city. She went to the inner city school and she made it the first time she tried out. So that's how important it is that the kids need to have, parents need to have an option to take their kids to another school or to another place where they can be better served based upon how our society is. Either one of you ladies have a question or statement? We have Lamanda, we have Nicole, Keisha, uh, Monette was on the call as well. We'd love to hear your perspective too. Just raise your hand and I'll unmute you. Not to put you on the spot. While they're thinking, I've got a question for Mr. Henderson if he'd be willing to answer it. I'm pretty sure he would be. Okay. So charter schools get a really bad rap about, you know, uh, segregation in schools. Schools are either pretty much all white or all black in uh, you know charter schools. Very few that are uh, fairly balanced. How do you know as you know charter school advocates and you know school choice advocates? How do we how do we answer that uh, you know question when you know when the data is very overwhelming? Um, even though more more African American uh, students by a percentage participate in charter schools than uh, traditional public schools, Hispanic population is very low in charter schools, and that's what you know makes that gap on paper and that's always the argument it, you know it's about the paper going back to your point it's a choice you know i'm choosing to send my child to a school where they feel more safe or secure or they believe in the education plan but i feel that's a battle that we lose a lot as advocates well one of the things uh, you you bring up a very good point why are the those minority students coming to your school or why do they want to come I'll give you an example. We have, uh, I met a young lady a few months ago that her kids have been in uh, uh, using school choice. And she was so excited that she was able to put her kids in a, an environment, an environment that was safer than the one that they were in already and where they were structured. And she can explain it better than I can. So a lot of the times you can go and look at some of those parents and ask them, what do you see the difference is between where your child was before and where they are now? They are the greatest advocates for uh, the situation you're dealing with because it's like, it's like the central government trying to tell the local government what's going on in their neighborhood, in their area. It's impossible. So I think you find your greatest advocate within some of the parents there that understand the kinds of differences that you have made in 
and, and uh, by school choice or your academies, as opposed to you saying it, uh, they will express what has happened to them uh, since uh, they uh, have been involved or got gotten the education in, in, in your system. That's the, I would say that's the best mechanism you can use because data can always be skewed one way or the other. Mm -hmm. no you have mm -hmm. no control over that, but you do have control over what's going on in your school. And you have students that came there with, uh, maybe a certain way, a certain level, whatever, and their proficiency, uh, behavior, whatever it is. I'll give you one other situation. I was up in Asheville, I guess, about five or six years ago. And one of the places we went was to what they used to call an optional school or an, or, or an uh, 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 alternative school. And the guy that was running that school, he was uh, 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 retired from the military. And uh, I can't remember what other profession he was in. He, in other words, he took that school and he turned it around where that people that were in the regular schools wanted to bring their kids to his school because they saw such a difference. How the, you know, the first thing is that you are going to respect what we do in this school. And he would interview each one of those kids that came in to see whether or not they should be coming to the school because he addressed, he was, it was sort of like he was, his school was hidden and the people had not recognized what he was doing. He looked at the talents that he brought some things back in. He had a, had a, had a, a, a place there teaching people how to become firemen, also mechanics, also all uh, uh, computers and all these various kinds of skills. And it, it, it was amazing how these, these students respected the teachers and the, uh, 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 the administrators that were there on that school. So he highlighted the, the proof was in the pudding of what that school was doing. Yeah, I love that everybody. If you just heard uh, Mr. Henderson, he said, find out why students come and most importantly, why they stay and make sure that the parents know that part of their job is to help brand the school and market the school as that you know, trusted, impactful school in the community. And we don't always see ourselves as that, but we have to tell our own story. I see Ms. Monette, I guess it's Monette, the first name Harrison has a question, a statement. I just, uh, I just unmuted her, so Monette, you are ready to go. Thank you, that is pronounced correctly. I had a student in my class this year and I called her my little activist. Okay. I truly believe she will be an activist. And she would say, this is not right. We shouldn't be doing these things. This is not right. And I would listen to her. And she felt heard and every day. She would come to me after school because I kept the students who were leaving later. And she would say, now let me tell you what happened today. Let me tell you what happened today. And I think giving them permission to say those things mm -hmm. and to really listen to them will help them open up and really have dialogue. Now, of course, we have to teach them mm -hmm. to be calm, cool, and collected at some mm -hmm. point because it can mm -hmm. get, you know, emotional. But I think encouraging them to speak out. And then on another hand, I will say this. Um, it's it's, this is risky, but I'm going to say it. I had a friend, and she's Black. And she was saying some things to me that I thought were racist. Mm -hmm. And I confronted her on it. And she said, well, now I know not to say those things around you. Mm -hmm. My thought is I need to follow up that conversation in bravery and mm -hmm. say, if it's not okay, 
to say to me, is it really okay to say? Because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. sometimes we say things to one another mm-hmm. thinking it's okay, but it's really mm-hmm. not. But it's a mm-hmm. hard issue. And mm-hmm. we have to be accountable and, and confront those things, mm-hmm. even with each other. Mm-hmm. That's a great, a great analogy right there. The first thing is that, remember, you guys are teaching the, and developing the leaders of tomorrow, which is so important. The second thing is that you confront the person. To me, silence is consent. And I will not deal with that situation. For example, I have some friends that want that look like me that want to use the N-word. Well, you can't use that around me. I had a situation when I was in the military. A great friend of mine, he come back from Vietnam and uh, went to, uh, we all stayed in the same barracks. And he went in there, he had three, it was a, the room was where you had, you had four people to a room. And I, I, I went in there and he says, hey, my N word. And I said, you can't say that. He says, I can't, but they can't. I said, you can't say it either. So I made it known right then that no matter who you are, I do not respect that word because it's demeaning. That might mean something for some of you, but from where I come from, from where it was called when I was growing up all the way to now, you cannot take that word. And I heard people say you can empower it, not for me. That's up to others if, if, if you're in that circle and, and, and you feel all right, but I just don't feel right with it. That's not who I am. That's not who Clarence Henderson is. I don't care what you look like. That's not me. And we're, we're, I'm not going to stay in your company if you're going to use that word. Anyone Clarence, else? I, sure. I love that you know who you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did anybody else have a question? I thought I heard someone. I think that's all the questions, Rhonda. There aren't any more in the queue. All right. Well, we um, we have gone past our hour oh. time, but I'm not complaining because this has been crucial. This has been so important and so special. Uh, really, Clarence, what you said, it's what's in you that matters. What you're asking us to do is to live the examined life. Hey, Rhonda, if we could, you know, I want to make sure while uh, Mr. Henderson's with us, remember there's, there's a difference between good intentions and intentional action, right? So good intentions right. was we all came on this, you know, session today. What are you going to do? What's going to be your first step? So in the chat box, put it in there so Mr. Henderson knows that he does not he did not just waste 75 minutes of his life with us. We're actually going to do something for what we just learned from him and, uh, and, and take that first step, whatever it might be, whether it's read a book, ask a question, um, talk to your friends, right? Whatever those next steps are, I think that's important. So, um, and then, you know, Rhonda, if you want to go ahead and close the session out and that if, let me, if let me last say words yet, other, go. Let yeah, me say please. one other thing. Elect, for me, the new protest is voting. Elections have consequences. This is one way that we can express who we want to serve us in the capacity of the government. And I will say to each one of you, think before you vote. I voted one way all the time because that's what they told me. But when I did the investigation, I found out which platform was serving me best, not based upon what somebody else said. Now, I have been, uh, in the last few years, I've been recognized by the president on two occasions. 
recognized by the vice president and uh, have had all kinds of recognitions because of the things that I've done in the past. And even though I run the race and I've kept the faith, I still feel like that I have miles to go and promises to keep. I hope that what I've said to each one of you causes you to think if nothing else and step outside of the box, step outside of your comfort zone and know that you are more of an influence than you would think. The, the, the word that I read all the time is more important, most important to me is the Bible. The person that I see that lived the longest in that Bible is Methuselah, but I don't see anything that he did. So it's not how long you live, it's what did you do? What happened between your dash, your date of birth and your date of death that you have made this world, America, your, 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 your organization, your environment, a better place? That's what I seek to do each and every day as I, uh, I get up out of my bed and try to make it a better situation. I try to be a better husband, a better father, a better friend better in all situations and always show myself friendly because that's how we can continue to move forward and be better people in this world. Well, you're a gym, Clarence. I'm just an average person that was put in circumstances that allow me to, to do what I do. The one thing I'll tell you that I do have, I have courage. Courage is my conviction. I may not agree with what you say, but I'll defend to my, my death your right to say it. Because each one of us has a right to express ourselves. We have in this country freedom of speech. And we should be allowed to express it. And what you say can be attacked, but do not attack the person or their character. That's a very wrong thing. When you do that, you are, you are, you are, are closing down the conversations you would have. Um, Thomas Jefferson said, America is an idea in the minds of men. My question that I will leave with you is, what is your idea of what America is about? That will give you an indication of your understanding your environment. We live in a free market capitalistic system. I have learned to understand that system because that's the system I live in. It doesn't care who owns it. You may start behind, but that's okay. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. And so not only do I talk with people about uh, um, uh, social things, but also how you become more effective in your life, such as people need to understand how, how to balance their own budget, how to deal with their finances, the whole nine yards. That was the field of expertise I was in, and I'm glad I, I have happily share that with whosoever is willing to listen because it's so important uh, and and we need to all understand that we all in here and if we have degrees in certain aspects of life but the degrees mean we know something we have expertise in something but not in all things so we should always be willing to learn something new each and every day thank you From the time you were named, Clarence, you've been a bridge. And I appreciate you being a bridge to us today and giving us a lot to think about. Um, I really appreciate you so much. And I appreciate everyone on this call today. And I know Katie's going to unmute you so that you can all say goodbye and, uh, and thank you to Mr. Henderson. Well, what, 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 Come on, just go in here. Come on, thank you.
It's been great meeting each one of you. It's going to be regular meeting. Yes. 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 This is that's what I'm saying. That's the man. Thank you, Clarence. You're welcome. Rhonda, we'll be talking later because we have some other things we need to talk about. That's right. We'll talk. Okay. Bye now. Thank you, Clarence. It was a pleasure. Bye. You're quite you're quite welcome. I wonder if home. Let's unmute the few folks here. Uh let's see. We've got a couple announcements. So make sure. So uh, Hold on, Katie. We gotta mute everybody here. All right, all right, everybody. So, if we've got a couple announcements, uh, Rhonda, is there anything you want to share? Is uh, she still with us? I don't see Rhonda on here, but I did have a few things to share. I know we have a few. We still have a few people on the call. Yeah, Lydia's um, still here. I see her, and I don't know if Lisa's still on, but yeah, go ahead, Katie. No, Lisa had to jump off, but she did have a message to share. Um, she's going to be sending out a, um, an email, so look, at, look for an email from Lisa Gordon-Stella regarding uh, social media usage with your staff. You know, mm -hmm. she just has some tips for, um, you know, the conversations that your staff might be having. Um, I also have some information about Jumpstart, and um, there's going to be a webinar tomorrow at 10 o'clock. So if you've had any questions about the Jumpstart funding and all of that, it's going to be tomorrow at 10 o'clock. So I'm just going to put this information in the chat. Um, so then you have the codes and everything. It's really long, but you can copy the meeting link there that's in the chat and it's so it's tomorrow at 10 o'clock they're going they just approved the jumpstart funding and policies today um, and so tomorrow they're going to have an information session so pretty quick turnaround and then finally if you are a school leader looking for a source for um, hand sanitizer and you know masks for your school and you, you know you want to get a good price um, we had Brandy from Clover Garden share this resource with us. So I'm just going to put this on here. Um, it's a group out of, of Virginia, but they have sales reps in North Carolina, and they've been really pleased with them. So I thought that might be a resource everybody could, um, any, anybody could work on. How about Olivia, one of our most trusted uh, partners? Olivia, you've got some share from a technology. I saw lots of schools are like having like, you know, car lines to drop off their technology. I'm sure it's chaos, but what are, what are some of your tips here at the end? Um, yeah, just at the end, make sure that you are either getting that technology back or you have a plan in place for if you're keeping it with the kids through the summer. Um, I know some of our schools that we work with are doing kind of half and half on those. Um, the only big deadline that we have this week specifically is the FCC form 479. That is your SIPA compliance and anyone that uses E-rate e -rate funding um, and has used it in the past five years or plans to use it, or if you have internet service from the NCREN network, you have to fill that out. Um, so that came out from DPI this week. Um, I sent you a blank form, so maybe we can get that put in the Google um, doc with everything for everyone in case they missed the emails, um, but that would have come from either Roxy Miller or Rebecca Martin, um, and you can just send them back to them, but that's something you do once a year. Okay. okay. Did you send it uh, to me, Olivia, or you sent it to Katie or all of us, or what did you do? Yeah, I sent it to the group, but I can send okay. it again. 
if you didn't get it. Yeah, just make sure because if I if I undo my screen, it messes up the recording. So maybe Katie can drop it in the box, or if you have it, you could drop it in the chat box if you've got the link right now. Okay. Yeah, I just have the physical files. So. Oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, we'll get can, it. Out I'll put it. I can put it in the COVID nineteen resources and get it out to everybody. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Any anything else? Uh, we've got. Yeah, obviously you got your jump start tomorrow. We did put in a message to the uh, the state uh, to ask them um, to please communicate if you if a school had to open in a remote learning situation, how would they count ADM? Schools need to know that so they can start planning that right now. Uh, so we did put an email, uh, a, a letter, a formal letter uh, from this group, basically. So didn't ask your permission, but we did it uh to just ask and say hey look we need we need something in writing um within the week uh so we can plan uh, better so that'll help you count adm so you can stop thinking about the, the ways and what we just uh, suggested is there's already two virtual schools and there's something written in state board policy about how those two virtual charter schools have to count adm just have it the same for charter schools in it all all that it is is a daily login and then a hundred day check-in so they're just going to check um, that number versus school day number 100 and that's how they do it so any other thoughts or questions from anybody is that call helpful or what <laughs> lot to think about that's for sure I was thinking you know um, would that be helpful if we got that transcribed and sent to everybody so they could actually read it okay so we'll so we'll get it transcribed and send it back out i was thinking he had a lot of great one-liners and quotes that could probably really benefit staff meetings and round tables and um and things like that and i heard katie uh, volunteer to start arranging the roundtable possible discussions i talked to ed reed who was our guest was it just it was just last week and he it was just is, last week he is all for that, helping with that process. He runs roundtables, so maybe we can, you know, grab a couple of professionals on the outside to help us um, start those conversations, teach the leaders how to do roundtables, and you can go have roundtables in your school uh, during those first couple of weeks on the same thing. So, yeah, good stuff. All right. Anything else, anybody? All right. Well, we appreciate you all. Thanks for hanging in today on this long Thursday. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel, right? Isn't that how they say it, Katie? That's how, that's how it goes. You're all right. Bye-bye, right. everybody. <laughs> Bye, Bye, everybody.